Hello, Pioneering Today podcast listeners. So on today's episode, we are going to continue from our part one in this series. And today is part two, and it is four ways to make money homesteading when you're broke. So being self-reliant and living on living the homestead life, it requires some tools of the trade. So if you're just starting out or you're needing to invest in equipment, then you might be wondering how on earth can I afford this? So you want to make sure that you check out our 10 ways to afford homesteading when you're broke, which is part one in this series. This is part two first. And you can find all of the show notes and any other other parts. Um, This is episode number 60. Go to melissaknorris.com, click on the podcast button, and then all of the shows are listed there. You can click on those, and then you'll get the full transcription links um, and show notes there. So saving money should be our very first priority, and that was what we covered in 10 Ways to Afford Homesteading When You're Broke. But sometimes we just plain need more money coming in than what we currently make. So these that I'm going to share with you are ways that I've made money or personal friends of ours has. So these are things that I know people have done or that I myself have done. So they're not just kind of, you know, just harebrained thrown out there ideas like you might be able to do this. These are things that we actually do or are friends of mine and I know that they do it. So the very first thing, and this is absolutely the easiest way to make some money, and number one, and that's to sell some of your belongings. I know that it kind of seems obvious, <laughs> but most of us truthfully have way more than we really need or that we use. So the first place to is to take a look through your closet. Um, if you've got some nice pieces that you haven't worn in the last six months, so for those of us who live in parts of the country or world that has seasons, this might fall into last year because I definitely have fall and winter clothes and spring and summer clothes that don't really translate over to either of the seasons. So if that's the case for you, then go back a year, not just six months. And then the easiest way to sell them that I have found and where I've actually earned the most amount of money is to just take a picture and put them up for sale on your Facebook profile or in Facebook. Oftentimes there's local groups. So you can look, um, put your town name in or your County name in under groups and put like barter or swap and sale with your County name. And you'll find groups that are dedicated just for that sole purpose of selling items online in a local area where you live. So you can bundle a few items together so you can pair similar items together if you don't want to do it each individually. Like say you have two flannel shirts, then pair that and just say, you know, 10 bucks for both or five bucks for the lot. Or you can do it by eaches and say, you know, five dollars each, you know, however you want to price that out. And that is really truthfully the way that I earn the most money the fastest when it comes to selling things. So you can use a consignment shop. Um, I've definitely used consignment shops in the past. It's especially true when you have younger kids and they're growing through their clothes faster than they wear them out. But right now, what I try to do is I sell the, uh, try to sell the items outright myself first. There's a few reasons that I do this. One, I have to drive over an hour to get to the nearest kids' consignment shop. And two, I tend to do better by selling it outright because I'm not splitting that profit with somebody else. So I make more money when I sell it outright. If the items don't sell on my own, if I post pictures, you know, online or whatever, and I don't sell them on my own, 
Then I decide whether or not I want to take them in for consignment. So I kind of look at it and be like, you know, why didn't this sell? Was it just because nobody has this size of, you know, they don't have any kids in this size or is it really maybe not in that greatest shape? Is it outdated? Whatever. And I decide if I want to take it in for consignment or just to donate the item. And two, when you're going through and you're, you know, you're paring down your clothes, you know, one, it might be, you know, your weight changed or you just got some items that you don't wear very much. Um, You know, there's going to be lots of different reasons, but truthfully, it's going to have to be in nice shape and, you know, be a good item of clothing in order to sell it. So this isn't going to work necessarily for, you know, your really worn out clothes. Those I would either, you know, donate, use for rags, see if you can sew and repurpose them into something, use the fabric to make something else. So this is just for your stuff that, you know, is in really good shape and really good condition. Um, And so on selling some of your belongings, a garage sale is another option. But truthfully, for all the work involved in having a garage sale, and especially if you're like me and you live out where it's more rural, you don't have a lot of foot traffic, you don't have a lot of vehicle traffic, you just don't have a lot of people, don't have a lot of population, then the garage sale just doesn't really work. I've not found that it's been profitable for all the work that it takes. I've just done way better trying to sell the items online. One caveat that I want to put out there to selling things online, though, is I never, ever, ever have somebody that I don't know come to my home to buy an item. I don't ever post my address online in regards to selling something. So, ever. (laughs) I have sold some things. I sold um, a saddle. I had a barrel racing saddle that did not fit any of my horses. And so I sold that on Craigslist. But I met at a local place of business during business hours and I wasn't alone. So that was how I sold that. So if you are selling something on online to somebody that you need to meet in person to deliver the item and you don't know who they are, Please, please make sure that it is at a, you know, a very, a business place, you know, full daylight that you've got someone else with you. Don't take any chances just to sell that item. So I just want to put that up out there. Stay very, very safe. Um, The really good thing that I like about using your Facebook profile to sell things is usually you're only friends with people that you know. And so it's a lot safer to sell things that way. We have sold boats. Um, cars, throw rugs, other household items that way. Um, lots of things that we just aren't using anymore. We, you know, outgrew or has just been sitting there. So don't think just clothes. You know, you can really look through your, through all the things in your house, your garage, your farm, and you know, you might not be using it anymore or you're only using it every now and then and you have another tool that will do the job just as well, then get rid of that. You know, if you've got something else that you can use to do the same job, then don't keep it. You know, go ahead and and put that up there and and sell it. And one thing, you know, is always, you know, before you put it up online, especially if you're doing pictures to sell it, you know, make sure it's clean. Take the time to clean it up, wash it, Uh, make sure that it's working and just be, you know, totally forthright and honest. Like, you know, if it's a pair of boots, you know, it has a scuff here or there's a small, you know, imperfection here or, um, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, like with the boats, obviously, if it's something that's a motor or vehicle, you know, just put the details on there and make sure that you're asking a fair price. You know, like, would you pay that for it? Um, you know, do you think that it's worth that? And I always try to give someone a good deal. I mean, I don't ever want to sell something below its its value, but if you need cash, you know, you're going to just kind of have to. So just know what the item is worth 
um, and do a fair price so that you're happy at the price that it's selling and the person who's buying it is happy at the price that they're getting it for. So I always try to make sure both sides of the party are happy and that it's fair. Um, I just think that's a good rule to live by. So obviously you're going to want to go through your stuff um, and you know look at selling some things. The number second way to make extra money when you're um, homesteading and you're broke is to teach a class. So everybody has something that you're good at, I promise. A lot of things that we do naturally or we just enjoy, we don't really think of as necessarily being a skill set or something that somebody would want to learn because it just seems so natural and part of our everyday life. But someone else would probably love to know how to do something that you do well. So maybe you sew, maybe you quilt, crochet, knit, maybe you're an awesome mechanic, um, maybe you play a musical instrument. Consider teaching a class or giving lessons for pay. Uh, many people would really happily pay you to teach them. I know that when I'm learning something new, and you're probably like me, time is such a valuable commodity anymore. A lot of us don't have a lot of extra time. If it's for a reasonable price, and it's by somebody who really knows what they're doing, I will happily pay them to teach me how to do it to save me time and to save me money. Because if you're trying to learn how to do something on your own and you keep screwing it up, a lot of times that costs you money. So for me, I would really prefer to have someone pay me and to teach it and know that I'm getting good instructions and I'm going to get it down and I'm going to miss making a lot of mistakes. And classes can both be online or in person. You can do one-on-one or group classes and generally one-on-one costs a little bit more and on a group class you can offer it at a lower rate to less people. So it's just going to kind of depend. Um, Many towns and schools have community education classes and they're looking for teachers. And this is true in our little town. Um, We actually have, we have so many rural little towns that we have one school that services one, two, six different towns and so everybody's bus to one so for that one school district we have community education classes that's funded by grant money I believe I hope I'm I'm not making a mistake in saying that and so you can teach community education classes and you get paid so much by the hour and then if you have more than I think more than 10 people and I could be wrong on this it's been a couple years since I did it then you actually get paid more per hour so the more people that attend okay so for example my mother taught me how to can and her mother before her so around here a lot of people know how to can almost everybody can something usually around here um But many people want to learn how to can today and they don't have anybody to teach them. So for me, it's just a second nature. I mean, every almost everybody around here that I know grew up canning. It's just kind of part of our tradition and part of this area, the rural area that we live in. But there's a lot of people that didn't have anybody to teach them. So I actually taught home canning and jelly making classes in our local community. And I had mothers and daughters come together. I even had um, a mother and son come to it. And so it was really fun. I felt really actually honored to be able to teach this to people, skills that I think is really important. And to be able to teach two generations at the same time was awesome because then it's going to be, you know, it's done as a family thing, which I think is wonderful, family working together. And it's much more likely to be carried on down when you have two generations in the same family learning a new skill. And then they can help each other as they go and learn and take that at home and expand on it. So you have knowledge and skills that others want to learn. Don't be afraid to charge for your time to teach them. This is something that I've often struggled with, truthfully. It's why I 
I give away a lot of free stuff on the podcast and the blog. In fact, I don't really have anything of my own for sale right now. I'm my I have a new book that I'm super excited about called The Made From Scratch Life, which will be coming out in February. But as of right now, I don't currently have anything of my own that I actually even sell. So this is something that I'm working on because, and you're probably going to be in the same boat at me. Sometimes, you know, and I'm so passionate about stuff as I want everybody to learn how to be self-sufficient and how to do the home sinning and how to eat healthier and how to do all that. And so sometimes it's really hard for us to put a, a monetary value or to know what to charge on it. But if, if you're needing to make money, there's absolutely nothing wrong with charging money to teach people these things because this is very, very true. And this is true in the online blogging world and this is on true in the you know your personal real life world. If you pay money for something, even if it's a small amount, you value it a lot more. And this is true for me. I have had free courses that I've been offered online that I've enrolled to take and I maybe took the first lesson and then I just never completed the rest of it. But if I lay down money for something, I am going to get my money's worth. And so if I pay for a course, which I have paid for some courses, then by golly, I go through and I take that course and I take the stuff that's being taught to me and I use it and apply it in my life. So charging and paying for something isn't a bad thing. Sometimes it's a really good thing. So I just don't have a stigma that, oh my goodness, I could not possibly charge for this. Okay. If you're good at it, you know, and you've been doing it and you have expertise and experience in something, don't be afraid to teach a class because there's people that really do want to learn it. So I just really wanted to put that out there because it's something that I've struggled with. Um, The beauty of the community education classes, though, is the participants don't pay to come because like I mentioned, it's funded and you get paid an hourly rate for the class. And some, you know, some of your prep work and stuff for the class that you need to do can be charged in that hourly rate. You'll want to talk to the coordinator in your area for specifics. Um, but the participants don't pay. So sometimes that's really good if, you know, you're nervous or you're just kind of starting out and you want to, you know, kind of test your, your, how you're going to be doing the class and delivering the information and getting feedback. Um, the caveat to that though, is unless you need to charge for supplies. So if you're providing supplies, then charge for them up front so that, you know that your cost is going to be covered. And if people pay up front before they come to the class, then they're going to come to the class because they've already invested the money in it, kind of what we talked about just a few minutes ago. So for example, um, when I taught the canning class, I provided the sugar and the fruit and I brought my canners in. And But we did pay because I wanted them to each be able to take a jar home. And so I wanted to make sure that it was all the same size jelly jars so that every that I knew how many people were coming and I knew how large to make the recipe and that I had the right size of jar for the yield of the recipe so that everybody would get to take the same amount home with them. So we did an upfront charge for that class and that was just to cover the cost of the canning jar and the lid and the ring because I knew I wasn't going to probably be getting those back from people. So always, always cover your costs. Um, Let's go on to number three. Okay, so number one was selling some of your belongings. Number two was teach a class. And number three is sell things you make. Oftentimes, people think that you have to make a certain item and sell it kind of like a regular store. But many times, you can sell the things you're teaching a class on. There are some things that people would just rather purchase than do themselves. And that's fine. It's actually great if you can provide the item for them. 
So it might be a loaf of homemade bread, which I did teach a homemade bread making class. And some people just aren't going to dedicate themselves for whatever reason all the time, but they might want homemade bread. So if you can provide them with that, fabulous. You both win. Jarms of home canned goodness, custom curtains. I mean, really, you know, think about the skill set that you have and you can teach that skill set, but then think about ways that you can make things with that skill set that you can sell as well. So you can sell home canned things like jams and jellies at farmer's markets along with baked goodies. You have to list every single ingredient and it has to be made in an approved kitchen. So you can get your own kitchen approved or you can use one that already is. So like a commercial kitchen, a lot of um, like community centers and different places have commercial kitchens that are approved for that use and you can use them. Now, I'm going to disclaimer here. I am not a legal expert. I don't know each person's rules and regulations where you live because it changes from area to area. So you'll need to, to look into the licensing for selling things in your county, state, etc. The general rule for federal taxes is if you make more than $400 that it's supposed to be reported on your federal income tax return. But please double check with your local tax agency or your accountant on that. Um, so make sure that you do that. And so these are from people, I asked some of my fellow um, homesteading bloggers out there who make and sell things at farmer's markets for what the rules and regulations were in their state or what were the items that they were actually moving and making money on. So Leslie from A Heart for Home, she lives in Texas and sells items at her local farmer's market. And she says this, the Texas cottage food law is what they have to follow in Texas to sell prepared foods from home or at a farmer's market. All cottage food operators are required to complete an accredited class in food handlers training, and that can be completed completely online. Woohoo! The certification is good for two years. There are limited items that can be sold, mainly nothing perishable, and you need to include a label with your contact info and whether a food is made with a major food allergen like eggs, nuts, soy, peanuts, milks, or wheat. Um, that ingredient has to be listed on the label, and I would just suggest listing all ingredients on the label because I am a label reader and most people are too. So that way you don't have to worry. Just put them all down there. And I have a link for that in the show notes to the Texas cottage food law. If you want to read more about that, just kind of see what it says. Now there are other rules, Leslie says, that follow when you want to sell eggs. So chicken eggs can be sold from your own flock without claiming any egg grade or size, and they must have a label to identify your eggs as produced by, and then you can put your name, your homestead's name, however that goes, and give your address. When I sell my eggs, I take them in a cooler to keep them cold. So that was from Leslie, and I have a link to her website too up here. Now next, this is from Anne from Live the Old Way, which I love that. You guys know I'm a vintage freak. And she shares this. I sell at our locals farmer's market in North Carolina, NC, which is a whole where my family hails from. And for us, the rule is that it has to be things we grow or make ourselves. So if it's food items, jellies, bread, etc., you're required to have your kitchen certified by the state. That's true in Washington State as well. And involves having a designated set of pans and utensils that are used just for products you are going to sell. You also must not have any inside pets or outside pets that come in even occasionally. We have someone in our area that has proposed opening a public certified kitchen that you pay to use to prep items that you would like to sell. She makes goat milk products from the girls on their farm. So bar soap, liquid soap, lotion, those kind of things. And native plant salves, salves, excuse me, 
oils and other remedies from wild medicinal plants and she sells eggs. And I was actually talking, they just opened a farmer's market in one of the neighboring towns to ours where I work, which I'm super excited about. Yay. And I was asking them and they are working on getting, um, they're going to have like a little bakery that's next to it and their kitchen will be certified and they are going to open that up to people who want to make products to sell at the farmer's market. So um, that is happening in my area as well. And then to get your kitchen certified in Washington state where I live, um, you have to have three sinks and most people at home only have two sinks, you know, the base in your sink, you just have, you know, two, but you can use a bucket as the third sink as well. So the, there are some options to getting certified, but like I said, you're going to have to look into it in your area. So that kind of covers, um, number three different items, um, on selling things that you make. I mean, you know, really think about it. I've seen so many things for sale, you know, food products, obviously home preserves, baked goods, quilts. Um, I've seen people do awesome decorating things. I've even seen people, um, you know, go looking at like garage sales and flea markets and Goodwill and thrift stores and finding really nice pieces of wood furniture. And then, and it might be like a hideous color or just kind of outdated, but if the lines of the furniture are really nice and it's solid wood, you can use the clay paint or chalkboard paint and it comes in all different colors. And I actually completely redid all of our kitchen, kitchen, excuse me, living room furniture um, this way because I was kind of tired. My husband and I have been married for over 15 years and a lot of the stuff we got used when we first got married, which I was grateful for, but I didn't have, I don't have money to go and replace all of my furniture, but I wanted it updated. And so I used the chalk paint. Oh my goodness, you guys, I got some amazing results. I was really excited about using the chalk paint. And what's good about the chalk paint and the clay paint is there's no prep work. So even if it has like a funky finish on it or it's really slick topped, you don't have to do all the sanding and the primering and the stripping down. It just sticks to it. It's awesome. So those are things too, you know, think about, you know, you can repurpose things that you find and, um, you know, do them like that. So I've seen lots of things that people make and then sell at those kind of things. So our fourth thing that I want to cover is sell things that you grow. So a lot of us in the summertime have an overabundance of produce. Consider selling it. Um, I would first recommend that you put up your home food preservation of the said products before you sell it. But if you really need money, you know, I always look at putting up my own food at home as money in the bank, so to speak. So I do that first. But then if I have more than we're going to use in a year or more than I'm going to put up right then, then you consider selling that. So Amber from the Coastal Homestead says, I have worked the markets all summer in South Carolina. We have similar rules as Anne does. As a matter of fact, the guides were 10 pages long. Our market allows you to outsource 50% of the ingredients in an item that you're making to sell, but it has to be grown in South Carolina. So I, she actually shared a picture. It's a gorgeous picture of her stand at the farmer's market. So it kind of give you an idea um, how to place stuff if you're going to be at a farmer's market or selling stuff so that it looks good because as we all know, the eye buys. So if it looks visually pleasing and you have it set up really nice looking, then if you're next to a table, it just kind of has it haphazardly thrown every year where you're probably going to sell more things. So, and then she just gives ideas um, of all the different things that she's selling and it, it looks really pretty. So you want to check that out. Um, just like homemade goodies, you can also sell your produce at farmer's markets. You can set up a small roadside stand. If you live near a well-traveled roadway, like a highway or, um, you know, a 
you can man it yourself. So set up a little stand and a sign. I see these all over, especially on the eastern side of Washington State where we live, where there's a lot of, um, you know, peaches and apple farms and all that kind of stuff. I see, see roadside stands all the time. So you can man it. So you can have somebody sit out there if it's really super busy or go by the honor system. You can just have a jar out there, um, you know, with a, just a little slit to put the money in and, you know, two bucks per basket or however you want to do it, whatever it is that you're selling. So you can choose to go both ways. If you have really large fields or areas, you might want to consider doing a U-pick. My parents have like, oh my, I think 25 to 30 blueberry bushes. And so after they get everything out that they want, they'll open it up for U-pick. And just to people that they know, but they'll let people come in and do a U-pick for the rest of the berries if it's a really prolific season. So if you have chickens, like we said, many people sell the extra eggs. Um, before we started our own flock, I actually purchased eggs from our neighbors for years instead of buying it at the at the store. So that's definitely a way to go. And a lot of people will raise a couple of pigs or beeves, beef and sell the meat. If you have the land, raising two of something is just as easy as raising one. In fact, it's easier because they're not as lonely and they're not as skittish and they're not as prone to being frightened because there's safety in numbers when you're an animal in a herd situation. So you can sell the second one for profit or to help cover the costs of your own meat. So that's definitely something to think about doing. In fact, um, I will link up to some of the articles that I have on raising your own beef and raising pigs and chickens because we have done and do all three of those. So I hope that this really gives you some ideas on how to bring in some extra money. And you'll notice that I didn't mention um, joining any at-home companies I have been involved with several over the course of my life. Um, and honestly, a lot of them involve getting up a big inventory, doing at-home parties. And for the most part, they weren't worth my time or money. You know, maybe I was doing them wrong. But a lot of people, if I want to, I've found the other ways much easier to make money at than doing um what they call multi-level marketing, if you've ever heard of MLM companies. So I'm not discounting those or talking bad about them, but I didn't mention those because I just think that these ways are easier and more likely for people to be able to do on a long-term basis and probably have more value. So that's just my own personal opinion, but I just wanted to throw that out there because I'm sure we'll get some um, things in the comment section about that. So I want to talk about the verse of the week when I look around this world and read the headlines, there is so much evil and horrible going on out there. And sometimes it really seems overwhelming. Sometimes it's really easy to get caught up in it and get down and just be like, oh my goodness, what is this world coming to? But God's word is full of his promises and what he wants for our lives. And so if you're starting to feel overwhelmed with negativity, Go back to God's word and focus on his promises for us. And this is a verse that I have kept coming back and back and back to this past couple weeks. And it's from John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have life and have it to the full. I want a full life. Amen. You too? Yes. So don't let the enemy steal your joy or your focus off of Jesus because as soon as we take our eyes off of Jesus, everything else starts to overwhelm us and we start to sink. So I just want you to remember that, that he has came already for us, that we have life and have it to the full. 
And if you have been with me at all on my Facebook page this past week, you know we are in an extreme drought here in Washington State. We've actually been declared um, national state of emergency. Um, the president just declared us that with all the wildfires we have here. Um, we have fires burning not immediately by our home, but um, about 20 miles away. Um, some of my friends had to be evacuated. And it's just um, a horrible natural disaster thing that's going on right now in many states. I know it's not just Washington, Idaho, um, Oregon, California. You know, I know it's not just here. So I had already planned on doing for September is National Preparedness Month. And so I already planned on doing a series on that and covering lots of different aspects of being prepared for things. But I tell you what, this this being so close to home to us really, really brought home to to do things. So my husband was gone this past week, actually. He was out of the country. And so while all this was going on, I've been at home, you know, taking care of everything by myself. And I've mentioned this before, my husband is an EMT and a firefighter. And so I rely a lot on his skill set when he's here because he has those skills. But I realized when he's gone, I don't necessarily have those skill sets. And so I'm going to actually, I'm going to be interviewing him um, and I'm doing a whole series. So it's a 30 day preparedness challenge. It's starting September 1st and we're going to be covering all kinds of things. Like I said, and you'll be getting daily emails. You, you have to sign up for it totally free that I'm going to be doing. So I would love to have you on board because I realize that I'm not the only one um, that doesn't have all of the skill sets that I need. And I think it's a great thing for us to focus together. And so We'll be doing, like I said, articles and emails every single day, focusing on things to help you get up to par in being self-sufficient and prepared. It is no f- no fear. Um, I don't do the fear-mongering thing, so it's not going to be focused on anything like that. And so I would love to have you be part of it. And then if you will be you know, sharing your stories and your comments and your knowledge, because you guys have knowledge that I don't have and vice versa. So I would love to be able to share your comments and knowledge each day. Um, on the previous day's lesson, so to speak. So the first day we'll send something out and then you can comment on that. And then I will put the those comments and ideas that will really help and go and beyond what I had in there in the next day's email with um, then with the new lesson. And so I'm just, I'm super excited. I want this to be a community event um, for all of us to get prepared. So I super duper hope that you will join me for that. And so that is an old-fashioned 30-day preparedness challenge starting September 1st. And the link to sign up to make sure that you get the emails and all the cool stuff um, will be in today's episode show notes. So go to melissacanorris.com, click on the podcast button, and hit episode number 60, Four Ways to Make Money Homesteading When You're Broke, and you will get all of that. Thank you so much for joining me, and I'll talk with you guys soon.